0: Danny Russell is a bit of a tech evangelist when he's around his 86-year-old grandparents.
1: I have both my phone and I've got my Apple Watch, and I basically don't take my wallet out now. I can have a tap on my watch or tap on my phone. So I asked them, what about that? And my grandmother, Banner, her response was, Danny, I've, I've just gotten used to this phone. Please don't. Don't make me get a new phone. <laughs> don't don't push, <laughs> push the envelope. To put, to put that <laughs> on.
0: I guess a little pushback is bound to happen when a payment technology strategist and an octogenarian meet. Danny's grandparents are from our generation of elders beyond the baby boomers. For many of them, technology is like a foreign language. But with a little patience, Danny says they too can become fluent.
1: They might still have a few more tricks up their sleeves.
0: This is Financial Futures, the podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation. This season, we're taking a closer look at each of the five generations alive today and how they like to shop and spend their money. Armed with survey data from 15,000 consumers in 15 countries, experts from FIS tell us how the way we pay is changing across generations and around the world. How do age, culture and technology interact to make the generations unique and which global trends unite us all? Last but not least, we get to know the beyond boomers. There are wisdom keepers who grew up when life and business moved at a slower pace. Danny Russell, a payment technology strategist at FIS, joins us to talk about empowering more Beyond Boomers to use digital payment tools, why financial inclusion is so important, and how to design e-commerce experiences with the personal touch they need. I was actually first surprised at this title, Beyond Boomers, because I know them as the silent generation or the greatest generation. First of all, let's just tell our audience, who are the
1: Beyond Boomers? The Beyond Boomers are, you know, Officially, we're talking about people born before 1946. There's people who grew up kind of just in the in the shadows of World War II, post-Great Depression. And these people, they've had, you know, obviously very different lives to us. But they have had some, there was a massive kind of economic expansion during that period of, in the post-World War II of recovery growth. And these people have lived through it and may know them as your grandparents. In other cases, it may be your great-grandparents. And there is, like you said, they have so much so much knowledge and wisdom keepers in our in society but equally you know it's a very different world kind of now than it was then so traditionally from a payments point of view a lot of them are used to, to using cash because that's what the kind of medium they had for or, or credit cards in certain situations not always as, as familiar with the the internet as other generations but you know that is slowly starting to change and i guess that's what we're here to talk about today in a bit more depth
0: exactly and it's it'll be fun to talk about because i kind of split my parents are boomers and my husband's parents are this generation or his mother is this generation and so and it's very interesting in how both of us approach money with our upbringings even though my husband and i are both gen xers so i'm probably going to be having a lot of mother-in-law references and i adore her so nothing negative <laughs> mary out there but in talking about the beyond boomers you're talking about technology adoption. This is a challenge for this generation. So what are the ways in which Beyond Boomers shop and pay? You've mentioned already cash.
1: Yes, a lot of it is is cash. It is face-to-face. It is credit cards. I mean, for me, my Beyond Boomers are, are my grandparents out in Australia. So I'll call them, I'll call them Banner and and Pop. A lot of them prefer to do cash or, or credit card cards what they get used to. I spoke to, like I said, my grandparents out in, in Australia and, and they, you know, Australia hasn't had a, a large contact with adoption anyway, even before even before COVID. And they, and they were actually, I was really surprised. They were like, no, we're, we're, we're perfectly fine with... Using contactless, um, or they call it like they use the the PayWave and the MasterPass brand names out in Australia, but you know they, what we'd call contactless in the UK. They both knew what the PIN limit was, what the contactless limit was, which I was both I was very impressed and very proud of my grandparents for that. But equally, my granddad was like, "There is no way if I'm going to go buy a paper for two dollars." there's no way I'm going to get my card out of my wallet. So it's just as much effort for me to reach into my other pocket where I keep my coins, pull out a $2 coin than it is for me to go to my wallet, pull a card out of my wallet and tap that. You know, for large purchases, they're absolutely fine doing that. They're okay with that. But just for incidentals, like, no, it's just easy to get money out of the wallet. And I said, well, okay, well, what about, okay, it's great. You guys are using cards. I'm, I'm really happy for you. What about putting it on your phone? Because then actually that's easier. I'm like, you know, I mean, I now in, in London, again, we've got a high contactless kind of penetration in the UK and in London. And I have both my phone and I've got my Apple Watch. And I basically don't take my wallet out now because I just, I go, I can have a tap on my watch or a tap on my phone. And that's just as easy. I mean, I don't even have to get my watch out of my pocket. And there's like, so I asked them, what about that? And my grandmother, Banner, her, her response was, Danny, I've, I've just gotten used to this phone. Please don't make me get a new phone. <laughs> don't, don't push <laughs> the pull, envelope. To pull, to pull on. <laughs> don't push that. I'm happy. And I was like... Fair play, Grandma.
0: Contactless payments also make some Beyond Boomers, like Danny's grandparents, nervous about security issues.
1: I spoke to him about, do you know who's responsible for the fraud payments if your contactless card was stolen, right? And people went on a bit of a tapping spree do you know who's liable for that spending? And, and they were split as to whether or not it was them or, or the bank. And I said, look, it's just like the bank in certain instances. Once you alert them that you know your card has been stolen, then any kind of spending of that is, is by the bank. And what I think is really interesting is, is that they then recounted a, an anecdote from the 80s where they accidentally left the, the checkbook out when they were in a hotel room. And a cleaner came in and selected, took a couple of checks, selectively out of the book so and the bank repaid them then because those checks were, were stolen and when you think about it I was like well guys contactless and, and card payments is, is just like that right the bank would reimburse you in some instances when it's when you, your stuff is if your money is stolen but I think the issue now is that you actually would get alerts on your phone and be able to track that a lot easier than where checks which take you know three days to clear in this instance because as Banner pointed out the person who stole them flip forward a few checks so you know it wasn't until they got to that point and realized actually there's a check missing that could have been weeks or even you know months later so in some respect it is is a lot more secure and then when you think about if we can actually move on to payments on the on the phone when you have biometrics you know to a certain degree they're they're more secure because they you have to authenticate with your device using your, your in apple pay using your face so before someone can even tap that card. So to a certain degree, that is secure. And I think that might be an interesting way in the future to say, look, you know, there's no memory of pins if, if that is an issue in certain instances, but you can use biometrics to kind of have that secure and tap.
0: The benefits of payment technologies seem obvious to so many of us. So why don't the beyond boomers in our lives get it? It's important to remember that some of their quirks were hard won. Going back to an example of my mother-in-law, growing up in the Depression, cash was it. You didn't get credit. You didn't buy something unless you had cash. They had the envelope method. Her, um, her husband was a plumber. He would cash the check and give it to her. She managed the money. She would put money in envelopes. When they had enough money for a haircut, they would go get a haircut. Like, you just didn't put something on a credit card because that meant you didn't have the cash to pay for it. So I can see where it's an honest paradigm shift
1: I was always always taught as well, you know, to not put money on a credit card that you couldn't pay off, which is, to be fair, is is great advice, right? Just from a, from a budgeting point of view, that you know you can't you can't pay off. But but that does bring to, to fact that a lot of these drivers from our reports we've seen is loyalty is a a big driver for for this generation. They're used to dealing face to face, where people know know their names, or or where sometimes they may have not had credit. Early on, you know, certainly maybe in the more recent times in '89, they may have had a tab at the local store or, or whatever that was because people knew who they were, right? And- right. They
0: knew the bank tellers when they went to cash their checks. They knew the newspaper delivery people. They knew the people that, I mean, let's go back in time, delivered milk, right? But their old-fashioned sensibilities don't mean that they can't learn how to thrive in the digital age. That's where education comes in.
1: We see in the UK, one of our biggest banks here, Barclays, is doing a fantastic job going into to care homes during the COVID or virtually going to care homes and teaching the residents who are kind of locked down at the moment how to use Zoom so they can still contact their, contact their families and have FaceTime calls and all that kind of stuff. So I think ironically a lot of when you start looking to e-commerce, you do have to do initial initial kind of internet education here, you know, about um, what are the risks, getting them online first, teaching them how to do online as a, as a kind of gateway to then making them feel comfortable doing commerce. I think also I'm, it's funny you mentioned your mother-in-law, I'm actually living with mine at the moment because we're in the middle of renovating a house before all this started and it's all kind of this stuff. But her and I basically play a little, a little game now where it's sad that we have to play this game, but we do play this game now where basically every time we get a, a phishing text... I go, okay, should you click on that link? How do you work out what's what's a good link and what's a what's a real link? you know would the uk government tax office really send you a, a link saying, click on this or you're going to get fined? Does that really feel like something a government would do or you know you've got a payment alert but I'm like that's not from your bank Do you know what I mean and, and how do you also you know how do you look at the URL and think, okay, is that real and that's I mean that's a fun game but it's also something to help alay her fears. i mean she's not in the beyond boomer she's in the boomer generation not the beyond boomer generation but it's been a good way of actually kind of working out how you can slowly do that education of, of the risks out there which also makes her feel a lot more comfortable interacting with that. and i think that's a similar kind of education process we'd also need to do for the beyond boomers as well just to get them comfortable interacting the digital world first and as well there, there are other safeguards we can teach them about you know such as um, again, my grandparents—they have the split accounts, so and they only make sure that there's a certain amount of money in in one account, a small amount in case that does get compromised. But there are there are ways to do it, and that—and if you bring that back to to examples that they're comfortable with, like what you said about the you know the envelope. If you make that kind of current account that's linked to their contactless card, that's like your general envelope, right, that you said about. That's your grocery envelope. You know, you shouldn't have more money in there than what you need to pay your groceries and incidentals. That way, if something happens, you're totally protected. You know, you, you can bring it back to, to what they've experienced before and make them feel more comfortable. Same with the, the stolen check example I gave before about what would happen if they got in there, what would it actually take? So I think there is there's definitely ways to kind of relate it back to their circumstances and kind of de-risk and and, and clear up it and make, and make it less confusing.
0: Do you think there's a fear among this generation that we are going to be a totally cashless society or that it's going to happen soon?
1: Look, the cashless society is it's a really, really interesting kind of paradigm because there's so many benefits on it and there there are equally, there, there are risks around it, right? So I think that you know, I mean, my job is payment technology, right? So we're looking at how we can go towards that. And I don't normally carry cash you know, because it's not my normal life around it. But I, I can see the reasons to, to why you'd want that. And I think there is fear and there's fear just because there's, there's a falling back mechanism, right? So cash is wonderful in case it falls back in the event of disasters offline. It's also, to be honest, there may be a fear because no one wants to feel – silly right no one wants to feel like they're fumbling around for stuffing it at a checkout or, or stuff like that right so if there's familiarity you know they know that they know it works they know it's going to get accepted but I think there's a small education process there but the cashless society is a really really interesting one right because the Bank of England published this beautiful graph in their discussions about central bank digital currencies and it shows actually well yes the rate of cash as a medium for transaction is going down right? As a percentage of the overall transactions. However, the cash in circulation has never been higher and continues to grow. So there's actually more cash. There is more cash out there, but we're just not entirely sure what it's being used for.
0: How can I get my hands on that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if it's all been stuffed on the mattresses before the pandemic and certainly Well, my my
0: mother-in-law kind of did, you know, like she had savings bonds and that kind of stuff. But I did, I saw one statistic that said in 15 years, only one in 10 transactions will be in cash there's a concern that this population will be financially excluded. And that, that's a new phrase that's been coming up is financial exclusion. So can you talk a little bit about that? And is it a legitimate concern?
1: It absolutely is a legitimate concern. I think, you know, we see that financial exclusion is is a big deal, right? You know, it's these people, they need to be able to spend their money. They have a right to be able to to spend it. And, and it's making sure that the benefits of a cashless society from merchants and from young people are shared with older people, right? It's a, it's little things like, you know, we all probably got a little bit of pocket money from our grandparents when we were kids, you know, a little one or two dollars a week or whatever the inflation appropriate amount was at that particular time. But how does that work in a cashless society, right? You're going to get granddad's going to come out with a, a, a mobile phone and tap all the kids, you know, crypto. You're wants, Venmoing you, know. it, it, you Johnny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You no, know, there, there it's genuine things like that, right? That might, that kind of, those are the kind of unforeseen impacts of a cashless society that that are things that we all took as part of growing up that we don't think about when we talk about a cashless society we think about just paying on contactless and financial exclusion is a a big deal because these people you know i think there are stats in a lot of the reports are seen but as we have an aging population this the spending and buying power of all these people of this generation you know increases but also it's it's it is a bit of a, a kind of a, a human right to be able to, you know, that, that is their money. They should be able to spend it. It keeps them engaged in society. It's good for them. It's good for society. And so we need to work out a way to do it.
0: So, what are the biggest barriers then? And we've talked a little bit about it to getting this generation, you know, doing online banking, using new payment technology and, and making it more inclusive.
1: The biggest barriers, I say, a lot of it is, is familiarization and making it kind of streamlined, simple and personalized as well. Sometimes maybe having a bit of more of a stripped down UI uh, or experience as well that kind of works better. You know, people, there's there's lots of accessibility routes you can look down without kind of stereotyping about maybe, like I said, simpler UIs, larger icons and certain examples like that. But just, so first things first, you have to address the internet familiarization, right? Which is what we spoke about earlier, getting them comfortable, being able to log on. And a lot of that is, it's been my kind of, personal experience but that the route for this generation onto that has mostly been around kind of photo sharing and Facebook and all all that kind of stuff right and, or video calling with, with family who's away I think that I think one of the main drivers to get my grandmother online was once she realized that all of her kids and grandkids were sharing photos of their kids online and she wasn't seeing them that was a massive driver to get her online and to start looking at stuff right and then that's been the kind of that's the beachhead that's then opened up into internet banking because now she has a kind of a smartphone and and has an ipad and stuff like that so now she's comfortable getting online she's got that first kind of place to work and then they kind of work out from there so that's what you have to do is you have to make it seem approachable first just what like the digital eagles uh stuff that we mentioned earlier that Barclays is doing is so fantastic just to getting them involved in the internet first
0: right right you know and you're talking that's some of that's you you're mentioning them the marketers, you know, what they can do, but it really sounds like it's, it's a responsibility of all of us. I mean, I know I've been impatient, you know, both with my parents and, and maybe in-laws and just kind of, oh my gosh, they're so behind the times. But, but you also mentioned the embarrassment that they may have at not being able to do it or admitting that they don't know, you know, so maybe we do just need to all like collectively breathe and be patient and have some compassion. It's really an issue of empathy, I think.
1: I completely agree. Think about what what would you would feel like if you were in that scenario, right? Where you couldn't quite understand you, how you want something. you more patient with you. That's why again, I'm, I'm a massive fan of of what it sounds like I'm paid ever, but don't even work for them. But like I said, that's why it's, that, that digital eagle service earlier is, is so great because they do have the time. And I think that's another element for businesses. Those people who provide that personalized service. I know we're kind of you know potentially skipping ahead but those bits who provide that personalized service and who do that follow-up after care on their products and and kind of have that personal relationship much like what this generation was used to experiencing in shops right or or they'd run into someone to go how's that thing going for you can you come over and fix it those businesses who have that who take that time and to give that personalized patient care i think that's that's a real winner
0: So how can we get the digital experience
1: right for Beyond Boomers? It's about taking it, and it's not dissimilar to other generations, it's about kind of personalizing it to a certain degree, maybe keeping it, you know, keep it nice and simple, clear you know know what they're getting to it have good of follow up pre-sales or after sales care you know it'd be interesting i'm not trying to have the, the stats it's been interesting to see you know how does this generation respond to say live chat on websites beforehand is it something they they like doing because it feels like they're talking to a person or would they rather speak to somebody on on the phone you know maybe that's it maybe you go you would you like to call you know when when they're in that process of of browsing online would you like us to to call you and and we can walk you through that i think it's it's about keeping it simple and clear, really adding that value and that service, which is what they've appreciated throughout their lives.
0: Right. So it's adapting to them instead of not having them fit around all the changes.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely as well. I think that that's um, like a wonderful quote from age UK that you know you, you should not expect people to fit around changes but design the technology so the changes work for them and that will how you'll get benefit for this generation but it is a gradual process it's not going to be a big bang right so it's yeah it's not day one going to turn on the, and, and the, the tap's going to run you know it's, it's, it's you got to work on, on getting everybody online first then getting them educated on the process talk about through talk about how it all everything works and then also slowly then add the extra value to it and and personalize service
0: And you've talked a little bit about rewards and loyalty programs and how Beyond Boomers like those. It it helps with that loyalty and that brand recognition. But what about online couponing? I wanted to talk about that a little bit because that was something that my mother-in-law did a ton. Like She gravitated toward the actual newspaper with the flyers and she would plan her week based on what was on sale, which, again, in the boomer generation, that is not a priority at all. But she would plan trips around, I'm going to save this on paper towels, which, you know, clipping
1: coupons. It's a competitive sport in America, isn't it? Like, coupon.
0: Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm not into it. My husband is. But again, <laughs> he clips all the coupons. But I just think you end up spending more money on other stuff or they're, you know, they're, they end up being like higher price brands to begin with. And they just want to get you in the store. But it could be something uh, online couponing. Could be something that could also get this generation more online because it's what they are used to and appreciate.
1: Or, may, or maybe it's a funnel as well. Maybe it's a physical coupon driving them to an online channel, you know, through a, through a newspaper or something as well. You know, and that that kind of comes from one of their trying to trusted mediums into something, and that might get you a little bit more way of kind of re, you know, reinstating that kind of um, trust in the ecosystem rather than. Bombarding them with emails or something like that where so maybe it might be actually let's go from the physical medium into a digital one as well and that kind of again reinstall some of their faith as well but yeah loyalty and and points we've seen lots of places where this generation has made their decisions on on what car to do solely on you know what the rewards points are and they like rewards that span across merchants so reward and rewards and loyalty has been a massive driver for this generation and i think a lot of that has come down back to that i kind of keep harping on about it but that kind of personalized service but again it may be a way of of funneling people from from the offline world into the online world by doing that kind of coupon as well
0: so what do you see for the the future of this generation in the online world uh, a couple of years down the line
1: we've already spoken about today a couple of times its a massive gener um shifts in the last couple of years about with the pandemic right and unless there's a equally seismic event the other direction I think you know those changes are going to stay right people are going to now have be a bit more internet savvy and this is this is that familiarity breeds momentum so you know while as long as getting two dollars out of your pocket still works you're gonna probably still do it because it's what you do right but these days you're like well that two dollars might I don't really sure I want to touch that okay now I might get my contactless card out to pay for it so now that will be your default habit because you you know you might not carry it and and the more then you use those new payment methods the more they gather momentum and until you have a big shift to shift it back then you know they kind of keep going on and and I think that will happen in the online world I think that the only way is up in this regards right so e-commerce has surged tremendously across the board over the last year because it's had to there will be some kind of snap back next year because people i think people want to kind of get out when they can but the majority of that change will stick and that will eventually filter up to to merchants for all generations because you know i saw a story here in the uk where specifically uh it was a ballet class for seniors and they went online and because they had to because of the pandemic and they've now discovered they've got you know dancers from not just their local area but from all kind of around the world joining in so it again is once you get used to that. It can bring tremendous joy, tremendous value, but I think just challenge the assumptions there because the old generation or the greatest generation you call, know, they might still have a few more tricks up their sleeves. So I think that they definitely will surprise us. So I wouldn't put any limitations on, on what they can and can't do.
0: As we wrap up, I want to ask you a question about, we've come full circle. This is our final episode of this season. We've done the silent generation to the boomers, to Gen Xers, to millennials, to Gen Z. My children are Gen Z and they're at that the oldest end of that. What's your prediction for the name of the next generation?
1: I don't know, but I've got a a three month old and a uh, a three year old. So I've got the next generation right now. I'd call them loud, but <laughs> I think they're comfortably downstairs right now. I think my wife's playing. Uh, got Disney. Got Disney Plus streaming at the moment, keeping them. Oh quiet thank God we, for Disney Plus. While we Plus. film this, yeah, yeah. So I have no idea because they've run. They've run out letters.
0: Danny Russell is a payment technology strategist at FIS WorldPay. Thanks for joining us for another season of Financial Futures. Stay tuned, season three is coming soon.